This is a recording made in the chapter of the open book and is number two of the series dealing with the book of Ruth. It is our custom at this meeting to read a portion of scripture together and we are going to read a whole epistle. Uh, but the whole epistle is comparatively short. It is the epistle of Titus. So if you care to switch off for a little while and read this and join in with us, we shall be glad. We are reading together the epistle to Titus. If you notice the distribution of subject matter in the epistle of Titus, you cannot help but be impressed by the alternation that comes in first chapter, second chapter, third chapter, God our Saviour, Jesus Christ our Saviour. Next chapter, God our Saviour, Jesus Christ our Saviour. Third chapter, God our Saviour, Jesus Christ our Saviour. Some have a hesitation to use the two words together. The Apostle evidently was entering into the glorious subject that is before us this evening. We've already mentioned in connection with the book of Ruth and elsewhere that every reference to the word Redeemer in the authorised version of the Old Testament I say the authorised version because the revised may have altered some and other translation may have altered but every single reference in the Old Testament of the authorised version to the word Redeemer doesn't contain the word Redeemer at all. It simply says next of kin. It's translated husband's brother. And yet, if you assemble all those passages together, it's Jehovah himself, the God who created heaven and earth, is your next of kin. Well, that's a contradiction, isn't it? Until you begin to realise that in the person of Christ, these contradictions meet and are dissolved. Unto us a child is born, that's a born child. Unto us a son is given. And his name shall be, among other things, the mighty God. And an Old Testament writer had no hesitation of linking together a child born in the name mighty God. Well now, the book of Ruth, as we've looked at it in the first instance, the first chapter and the last balance one another, just lips at the chart again so that we can go on to the next move. The sons are dead. There's no more children possible to Naomi. And so the inheritance is suspended. It's lost. No one to become the heir. At the end of the story, better than seven sons to Naomi, and the inheritance redeemed. And in the middle, how it was brought about by the intervention of the kinsman redeemer who builds up the name of the dead that they be not cut off or lost. Now in the confines of this little book, this jewel of a little book, Ruth, we have compressed, I suppose, more references to kinship than in any other number of pages equivalent to it in the whole Bible. So in the first case, let us look at these, shall we, and sort them out. Under that word kinship, you see, there are four different Hebrew words uh, written in English characters, uh, Modar, Mishpacha, Karob and Goel. And if you say you can't always find the word Goel in your uh, concordance, look under the root word G-A-A-L. It's just a variant. Now let's look at these. In Ruth chapter 2 verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, 
and his name was Boaz. Well, there we have a kinsman. And that word, which is there translated a kinsman, comes from the word meaning to know. It's a word that's used a very intimate knowledge, as you may remember in some parts of Scripture. It's, it's the word which we have in the Scriptures, that by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. He was acquainted with grief. Now that's a kinship in experience, not physical, but a kinship that links us together. The Saviour we believe in and, and trust is not one who remained in glory and looked down from the heights upon a little crawling anthill. He came where he was, is the glory of that parable that he uttered himself. He stooped and was found in fashion as a man and became the king's man redeemer in that sense. We have not a high priest, says the epistle to the Hebrews, who is not untouched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows. I don't know whether that's ever been a comfort to you. It should be. It's very difficult sometimes to get other folks to really enter into your problem and see it from your point of view. But never forget that if every other way is bottled up, you can always follow the line of Job. He looked forward and backward, right hand and left, and he got no answer, but he said, he knoweth the way that I take. I don't, but he does. Well, there's the first thing then. He knows, and that is a kinship that we do well to rejoice in. Well, now look at the next one. This one we get in chapter 2, verse 3. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hat was to light on a part of the field belonging to unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Now here's the other word. This word kindred, as you see by the reference there in the book of Genesis, is the word translated kindness. Different kinds. It is translated in chapter 10, verse 5, family, kinds, kindred. You know Shakespeare's play upon the words, a little more than kith, a little less than kind. He played upon the word kind, which has first of all the, the idea of being the same kind as somebody else. And then the implied thought that if you are of a kindred, you ought to be kind to them. All Shakespeare knew his language, and it doesn't do you any harm sometimes to dip into it. So now we've got, you see, two words. He's our next of kin because he knows. He's our next of kin because he was made of the same kind. There is a protection in the New Testament that he took upon himself the likeness of sinful flesh, but he became man. He was born of a woman, he grew up as a child in a family, and he was called the Son of Man, distinctly. So there's the second of these uh, words that indicate his union with us, sharing. And then we have in chapter 2.20 another word. <coughs> and Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is a near kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And here we have the word that means to come near, as we've anticipated in the parable of the Good Samaritan. He came near where he was. So this must be important to think that God has gone out of his way to, in these chapters, 
just to put these words to give us an all-round sort of feeling of the nearness of this Redeemer that he has supplied. You know, there's entered into our language the word as cold as charity. Well, there's no coldness and charity here. This is not throwing a penny to a beggar. This is becoming like a beggar to lift the beggar up. This is where the poverty of Christ is greater than all the wealth of the world, that through his poverty we might be made rich. And then we get to the word that gives us the word kinsman, redeemer, over and over again, the word goel in uh, chapter 220, which we just looked at, the second reference, one of our next kinsmen. One of our next kinsmen, the goel. In a primitive state, in Bible times, Old Testament times, there wasn't the ramifications of legal protection that we have today. Occasionally you have to go round your premises and ensure that windows are locked and what not. But our forefathers went round their premises with a blunderbuss. Uh, there was no police to appeal to or to look after them. And go back more primitive times, the tribe and the family looked to their kinsman whenever they were in trouble. So the moment Abraham learned that Lot, his nephew, had been captured, he gathered his handful of servants and away he goes after an army. And by the mercy of God, he got Lot back again. But he was acting immediately without two thoughts for himself as a kinsman redeemer should. And when Job, who gives us the first statement in the Bible concerning a kinsman redeemer, when he said, I know that my kinsman redeemer liveth, it was forced out of him by the fact that he could say in the same chapter that his clansmen and his kinsmen had all stood back and deserted him. So there we've got now these four words and they've all focused our attention upon the way in which our Saviour came where we were, took upon himself the nature of man as it is written, as though it was a thing that need not to be proved, as by man came death, by man must come the resurrection of the dead. Well now we'll look a little bit further and give the story a chance and then we shall pick it up again with the structure which we have on the chart in chapter 3 and we hope to take it through to its conclusion. Let's read it, shall we? And I'm starting with chapter 2. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth. This man is in contrast to the two sickly children that had died and left the inheritance suspended. He is a mighty man of wealth. And you may remember that there were two pillars in connection with the temple built by Solomon. One was called Boaz, and that meant strength. The other one, I think, means beauty. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, now this is very nice to know that it wasn't Naomi who was nudging her daughter-in-law to go out and do something. It was Ruth who said, couldn't I go and do something? There's a lovely spirit here manifested, isn't there? Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. That's a vague term. She didn't know where she was going. And Naomi, oh, blessed be God, she didn't nudge her memory. She didn't drop a hint. She just left it in the hands of the Lord and she said, Go, my daughter. Now the next verse says, she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers and her hap was. It just happened. Nobody prompted her. Nobody told her. When she got to the garden gate there was nothing to say turn to the right, 
or the left. It just happened. Have you ever had happenings in your life that you look back and say, oh, that was the hand of the Lord? Well, so it was here. If she'd gone to another field, there never would have been written the book of Ruth. There would have been no wonderful picture of the kinsman redeemer, but God was going to make sure of it this time. And so her hap just happened that she went to the field of Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech, and she didn't know it. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Nice little primitive greetings, aren't they? You don't quite get those between master and servant today, or do you? You see, it's such a long time since I stood at a factory bench, and even then I don't think I heard it like this. It may be just passing the time, and we say goodbye, and we don't know we're using the name God, do we? We say goodbye, that means God be with you. But still here it is, the man as recognising the Lord and his servants too. And the servant that was uh, set over the reapers answered and said, Oh, um, the Boaz asked, uh, whose damsel is this? So he didn't know. You see, no collusion here. There was no inviting her. He said, whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and have continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. And so Boaz, moved by God and being a very decent sort of man himself, as you can feel, he said, um, you just uh, keep the young men back from interfering with her and um, drop a little handful of purpose now and again, just a little bit more, you see. And so, it comes that um, when we got to the end of the story, it says, verse 16, And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until even, and beat out that she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. An ephah is a fair measure to get in one day's gleaning, a good measure. And she took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she was conscious that this is something extraordinary. You don't get such a packet as that every time you go gleaning. And she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, where hast thou gleaned today? Can you enter into this and think that Naomi's heart's beating a bit quicker? She says, I've got a suspicion that something's happening. Where hast thou gleaned today? Or am I drawing on my imagination, friends? I think it's written here, isn't it? And where oughtest thou? But don't, don't tell me the name yet. Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, The man's name, with whom I wrought, today, you're waiting for it, you see, Naomi's waiting for it, is Boaz. And here's the whole thing. Brought back at the right time, barley harvest, 
turn to the right side to go to the right field, get in favour with this man, and comes back with the evidence. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. Now, to modern ears, you say, well, what good could this do to the dead? Well, it couldn't give them newness of life, but it could rescue the forfeited inheritance. So I'm going to turn for a moment to two passages in the Law of Moses. We're back again to Ruth presently. First of all, Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25, where we have the law that was partly involved here. The chapter is taken up tremendously with um, the jubilee and the possession. You notice, look at verse 10. And ye shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. And it shall be a jubilee unto you. And ye shall return every man into his possession. And ye shall return every man into his family. So at the end of fifty years, even though you'd sold your property, it went back to you. So there's an agreement made that in verse 16, according to the multitude of years, thou shalt increase the price thereof. And according to the fewness of the years, thou shalt diminish the price thereof. And then... A little bit further down it says, uh, verse 23, The land shall not be sold forever in perpetuity. You could only give it for 999 sort of years lease. It never could go clean out, you see. The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine. For ye are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possession ye shall grant a redemption. Here it comes. You must grant a redemption with the land. When you sell it, you sell it on the understanding that it can be redeemed back again. Well, that's one bit. Well, now will you turn to Deuteronomy, chapter 25, conveniently the same number of chapter for our poor memories. And there we read these words. This is the law that was operating with regard to Naomi, Ruth, and the inheritance. Deuteronomy 25, verse 5. If brethren dwell together, and one of them die, and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. She had no liberty in the matter. She couldn't say, well, I'd like to marry so-and-so. There's no like about it. The inheritance was first. Her husband's brother, now this is the next of kin, her kinsman, her husband's brother, shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife, and perform the duty of her husband's brother unto her. This is the kinsman redeemer. This is the law. And it shall be that the firstborn which he beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. So although they couldn't raise the man from the dead, that child that was born in symbol was perpetuating his name and inheritance. So there's the law. Well, we'll go on and see a bit more because this is mentioned a little bit further on in Ruth. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, and there may be many reasons why it would be very awkward, I need your imagination to think of some, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate 
unto the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her, then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face and shall answer and say, So shall it be done unto the man that will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. Pretty drastic, wasn't it? There is a reason why the inheritance should be preserved intact. All is focusing upon the coming of one at long last to be the kinsman redeemer. There must be no trifling because when you get to the last few verses of Ruth, you've got the genealogy of Christ from Ruth the Moabitess down to David. It's an important step. Now we'll come back again to the book of Ruth and pick up our story in the um, third chapter. Then, oh, now first of all, we'll give a glimpse at the, at the remainder of the chart at the bottom here. Chapter 3 to 4. In verses 1 to 9, we have a very strange instruction given to Ruth, as you'll see. Spread thy skirt over me. You want to remember that morals change with latitude, longitude and period. In the early days in the Bible lands, a woman would be sure that nobody could see her face but you can see the rest of her body without much bother, you see. And of course, from another point of view, so, oh, how shocking. It depends. And you've got to judge the attitude of Ruth and Naomi by the law that obtained at that time. And at the other end, in answer to spread thy skirt over me, Ruth becomes the wife and the inheritance is redeemed. So the whole story is impinged in on that. Now we go back. The nearer kinsman, oh dear, there's a nearer kinsman than Boaz, and he's got to be considered. We'll find out a reason why in a moment. And then Boaz calls upon him, and it's the first, the first reference that I know in history of the word advertise. When we were, when we were talking to the representative of the Underground Railway, and I went round with him to locate the sites, I said to him, you know where the first advertisement is mentioned? He said, no. I said, in the book of Ruth. Is it, he said? I said, it's only got four chapters. Go home and read it. He said, I think I will. <laughs> so I don't know whether he did. There it was. Uh, so I was living up to the, the uh, way that my daughter ticked me off in the preface of my autobiography, if you read it. You'll see she got me down properly. Then we have in the middle, Ruth Assured. Now we'll, we'll go on with our story, shall we? Chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, my daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? This rest, you see, is balancing being kind to the living and the dead. Two expressions which would have no meaning today among people. When you get married, you're not doing anything to the dead. And some people, when they get married, they have no more rest after that for the rest of their lives. Uh, in my own case, I did have to say that I was... I think I had two days peace and then war broke out. But of course, that's not quite the way to look at it. Now then, and now is not Boaz of our kindred that she is again on this kinsman element, you see. 
Not whether Boaz is in love with Ruth or anything like that. But is not Boaz about kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Now, look, things are working out, she said. Tonight he will be on the threshing floor. And in the early days, they never left the threshing floor until it was all gathered in, because if they did, they'd find somebody had raided their crops and gone off with him. See? So he'll be there night and day now till the whole thing's in. I like the next bit. It's so down to earth. Wash thyself. She didn't say, now Ruth, now Ruth, do remember, you be, you're coming into the family of God. So all the women that belong to the family of God must be just frumps in order that they may not be ticked off by somebody by being fashionable. You know, there's a possible rendering of one passage in 1 Corinthians 13 which says, love is never out of the fashion. Now that would upset some people. But I lived with somebody who was so out of the fashion because of some peculiar spiritual kink that everybody looked at her more than anybody else. Oh yes, that can be a display. So she said, wash thyself therefore and anoint thee. Anoint thee and put thy raiment upon thee and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man, or it comes again, until he shall have done eating and drinking. Because even in those days, I suppose they said about the poor man, the way to his heart was through his stomach. Don't upset that. All right, we'll take it as it's read. And it shall be when he lieth down, that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet, and lay thee down, and she said, now that's, that's the end of your instruction. And he will tell thee what thou shalt do. That's an extraordinary thing to tell a young woman to do, isn't it? From a modern point of view. But this was claiming the right of the kinsman redeemer to marry the woman and redeem the inheritance. And she said unto her, all that thou sayest unto me, I will do. And she went down unto the floor and did according to all that the mother-in-law told her, or bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. And she came softly, and uncovered his feet, and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight, that the man was afraid turned himself. Goodness me, you might be saying, what's this? A woman lay at his feet. You can understand for the moment, what was this all about? He said, who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thy handmaid. Now she's going to take the one step that's demanding that he should become the king's man, redeemer. Spread thy, therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. Thou hast the right to redeem. And then he said, well, this is extraordinary. You haven't been running after the young men and I'm an older man. And he says in um, verse 11, my people just know that thou art a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. And then I can feel Ruth had a sudden sort of stoppage. Oh, what's he going to say now? However, there is a kinsman nearer than I. Now, why is that, Woody? 
Well, one of the things I suppose it's true that the course of true love never did run smooth, part of the history, but there's a deeper meaning. This is giving, this is giving man, apart from God, the opportunity, if he can, to redeem the inheritance. Or put it in other words, it's tested again in Psalm 49, no man can redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. But he must be given the opportunity, otherwise he might still say, oh, I think I could have done it. Well, this, this one's going to be given his opportunity. This other kinsman. It's all a part of the story. But he says to her, Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of the kinsman to thee as the Lord liveth. Lie down until the morning. So there it was, left in the balance. And she laid his feet until the morning, and she rose up before one could know another. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came unto the floor. I think that's worthwhile remembering. They were perfectly innocent and perfectly right. But they said, we don't want to do anything out of bravado and say, well, it doesn't matter what people say. So she left the field before it was possible to recognize one another. And so the thing was left for the moment. She took back more, more six measures of barley and went into the city. He went into the city, not she. Our version says she. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. Verse 18. Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he hath finished the thing this day. She got to sit still now. The onus now was upon Boaz. Well, what did he do? Chapter 4. You're not getting weary of this reading, I hope. Then went Boaz up to the gate. And the gate, of course, was the assembly point for all disputes, all administration of law in these villages. The gate. And sat him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by. Unto whom he said, Oh, such an one, turn aside, sit down. And he turned aside and sat down. There was no demur about it, no arguing about it. This was right. And he took ten men of the elders of the city. And ten is a number that you must remember was very much dominating the life of the people. You could not found a synagogue in any village or town until you got ten men. It must be ten. And you know there are tens mentioned in some of the New Testament statements to do with the people of Israel. And he said to them, sit down. And they sat down. And now he states his case. He said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that is come again. And I think you'll be conscious that Boaz is a weeny little bit artful. Because he didn't put the whole case straight out, you see. We must excuse him, I think. We may have been up that street ourselves sometimes. And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi, that he's come again out of the country of Moab. This is what he put. Send it a parcel of land, which was our brother in Imanex. Well, that's rather an attractive idea. If he can get another bit of land, so much the better. 
And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And would you believe it? He said, oh, I will redeem it. I don't know whether Ruth was there. She wasn't. She was sitting waiting. But her heart would have gone down again, wouldn't it, to have heard that. I will redeem it. Then, Boaz revealed the one little bit he kept in reserve. Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And he said, well, let's put the, whatchamacallit on it. <laughs> I don't know what word he would have used, but something said that. I do remember seeing a boy asking his father, he says, Dad, what's kibosh mean? He says, I don't know. See, nobody puts it on you. So that's more or less what was said here. And it sounds a bit like a Hebrew word, doesn't it? He said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Now, that may have been many reasons we're not told. It doesn't matter. He couldn't do it. It would have spoiled his own inheritance. And so the door was opened. He'd been given an opportunity, and he failed. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. So, other salvation, there's none but this one through Christ. He has a little picture of the man who had the right in law, but he had to step aside because he couldn't do it. Now, this was the manner of in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe. Again, this plucking off the shoe was a symbol. And it's perpetuated this very day when there's a wedding, somebody ties a pair of old boots on the back of the cab. Because the handing over a shoe was the symbol of handing over the authority. The, the bride was transferred to the authority of the husband. I remember in my struggles in the early days, I wrote some children's books. And one of them was some children who went back in time, or they went through all sorts of experiences, but they attended the wedding of Richard Cordelier. And the little boy said to one of the knights, Throw an old boot at him. And the knight nearly fainted at throwing an old boot at Richard. <laughs> That's by the way. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things. A man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbour. And this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders, and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day. See, the transaction had been done according to law. The man had been given his opportunity. That I have bought all that was Elimedex, and all that was Kilion's, and Marlon's, of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabites, the wife of Marlon, have I purchased to be my wife to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among the brethren and from the gate of his place, ye are witnesses this day. 
There's the transaction. Now, when you turn to the epistle to the Ephesians, you might think it's a long, long way from such a simple little story as Ruth. But in Ephesians 1, 7, we have redemption through his blood, the release or the forgiveness of sins. And then in verse 14, we have the redemption of the purchased possession. That's what's going on here. So we've got the two elements of redemption right into our own calling. We need a Passover to deliver us from our bondage and we need a kinsman redeemer to restore the forfeited inheritance. So however far we advance, however high the heavenly places are above the inheritance of Palestine or whatnot, the centre remains just the same. It's only the circumference that is enlarged. Well now we'll hear what, what they say. Verse 11. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come unto thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. And do thou worthily in Ephrata, and be thou famous in Bethlehem. And then we discover that they were married, and she had a little son, and in verse 14, the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. Shall we not say, Blessed be he that hath not left us without a kinsman? Do we not start our calling, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and end up that section with the redemption of a purchased possession, all Ruth, is very near to our, our position, only it needs retranslating into more New Testament language. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. You, I have a feeling somehow that they didn't poke fun at mother-in-laws in these days. At least this is an exception. This mother-in-law is being watched over and looked after and provided for in relation to this great redeeming act. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age, for thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, hath borne him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in the bosom, and became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbours, gave it a name, saying, this is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. Now then, he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Then, as appended, the generations. We might as well finish it. These are the generations of Phares, who was a child of Judah. Phares begat Hezron, Hezron begat Ram, Ram begat Abinadab, Abinadab begat Nashon, Nashon begat Salmon, Salmon begat Boaz, Boaz begat Obed, Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. And here we have another link in the chain of redemption. Our Redeemer has got this in the, as it were, in the background. Well, I haven't been able to do much more this evening, it seems, than um, read it to you. And yet I'm not apologising for that. For I think it may be an, uh, an opportunity to mention this to one another. Till I come, said the Apostle, 
Give attention to the reading. Reading. It says in the book of the Revelation, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear. That looks as though one did the reading, and a lot couldn't read at all. I don't mean to say you're like that, of course. It says, faith cometh by hearing, not reading. Somebody else is doing the reading. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. How shall they hear without a preacher? They didn't say, how shall they hear or read without a Bible? I have a feeling sometimes, it's not always wise to give a person a Bible. You're giving them a family album, and they don't know anything about it. And they're mystified by, don't know where to begin or end. You preach to them the word, and tell them from your own experience, that's what I passed through. That's how I was saved. And if the interest is quickened, all you say you'd like to know more, then point out some portion of the book that will bear upon it for the time being. But I think we've had enough for one evening. If we've grasped the, the wonder of this little gem of a book that belongs to the dreadful days when there was no king in Israel and everyone did that was a right in the sight of their own eyes, it's an encouragement to us to, to feel that in the worst of times, God can have a remnant according to the election of grace. And we may be blind to it like the prophet was. He said, I only am left and may seek my life. What saith the oracle of God to him? Yet have I seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Well, that rounds off our attempt to let some parts of the Old Testament speak, especially neglected parts. We've looked at the book of Joshua, We've looked at the book of Judges, and it may have been in the minds of some folks to think, well, what books to go to and waste your time over? But I think we found lessons that justified the examination of those books. And here we have this little bit at the end that surely should be known and reveled in by every one of us that named the name of Christ. Now, we're beginning, we're bringing this Old Testament survey to an end for a period. We're going into the New Testament to look at other phases and aspects of truth that belong to us. But I do feel we should be very unwise if we allow folks to make us feel that unless we're always speaking about heavenly places and the dispensation and the mystery, we're not ministering the truth that God would have us do. He's given us a complete Bible. We rightly divide the word of truth, but we want it all that we may be truly furnished unto all good works.